You're listening to episode 269 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. I love when we get a guest on the show who's schooling us on something that we haven't covered, and this week's guest is educating us on diabetes type 2. Heather McConaughey is a nutritionist, health coach, and former nurse. Heather empowers successful women to lose weight and keep it off in a healthy, sustainable, and life-changing way. She loves coaching women to improve their health, wellness, and the way they feel about their bodies. Heather is also the host of the Positive Thread podcast that shares stories to inspire millennial women to transform their bodies, minds, and souls. In this episode, Heather and I discuss the most common symptoms of undiagnosed diabetes, the role of nutrition, lifestyle tips, and more. While you're listening today, be sure to screenshot, share that you're listening, throw that on social media, tag me in it at MindBizLife, and I'll reshare it. Sharing is how we get these life mastery conversations into the home, scars, and earbuds of many. Before I hit you with all of this info, here's your little reminder that we've got podcast merch. You can now rep your favorite podcast with our signature t-shirts, long sleeve tees, tanks, hoodies, stickers, and coffee mugs by visiting the shop section of mindbizlife.com. And remember that when you order, I want to see what you got. So DM me your photos or tag me in them at mindbizlife. Okay, are you ready to meet Heather? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. Hey, Heather, welcome to the show. I'm excited to chat with you and learn from you today. Lauren, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I know you are a former nurse and a current nutritionist and health coach. I'm curious to know what made you pivot in your career? Yeah, great question. So I have been a registered nurse for five years and I was working in a busy level one trauma center in Austin, Texas in the emergency room. So it was hectic to say the least. We also took care of like all of the indigent population in town. So between the traumas that we got, plus all of the you know, people who were on drugs or like alcoholics or, you know, homeless, it was just a very stressful job. And I had gotten involved with CrossFit to just cope for my own stress levels and my own fitness. And I had really enjoyed my fitness journey. I had been learning about nutrition. I had been going through my own journey with it and I had gotten certified in nutrition and things just kind of came together where I was like, I'm not super happy with nursing. I'm more passionate about this thing. And also I think it was a combination of watching people get really sick in front of me from chronic diseases that could have been prevented lifestyle. And so all of those things just kind of coalesced and I started coaching others in nutrition. Well, I love that. And I love that you were brave enough to do so because I think it would have been for some people, a lot easier to just stay complacent. And while they may have realized what wasn't working for them, then they may have just continued to choose that route because, hey, my degree backs it up, right? Like I've worked for this. Why would I walk away from it? But it sounds like you were way more into preventative and helping people to stop getting to this point that they wouldn't need the ER so much. Yeah. And it's so easy to look back on our lives sometimes and have regrets or be like, Oh, why did I do that? Like, that's not really what I feel like is my passion or where I'm going, but like hindsight is always 2020. Right. Mm -hmm. And we can never know actually the stepping stone that that 
choice is, or like, maybe I wouldn't have even ended up in Austin if I hadn't gone to nursing school and I wouldn't have found CrossFit. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, right. Nursing could have actually been the path to where I am. And obviously it gives me a lot of authority and credibility and knowledge to help my clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that even one small change in your life, when you look back at your shoulda, coulda, woulda's, could have changed the trajectory of everything. And then that could have blocked a lot of your blessings that you currently have today. So that's important to acknowledge as well, to just be grateful for the journey and the process of life that you've already had. Yes, a hundred percent. Well, we haven't talked about diabetes type two on the show before, and I feel like this information is important to educate the masses about, but let's start off easy. Will you share what the difference is between type one and type two? Sure. So when someone has type one diabetes, their body just doesn't produce insulin. So insulin is that hormone that's released from the pancreas in response to an increase in your blood sugar in your bloodstream. And if you don't have insulin, then your body can't pull the sugar into the cells. And two things really start to happen that are very dangerous. One, you start to starve, right? Because your body doesn't have fuel. It can't actually utilize the sugar. Um, The sugar has to be pulled into the cells, right? The cells are your little energy factories in the body. So just because the sugar is in your bloodstream doesn't mean that it's actually like in your body per se, that makes sense. Yeah. And then the other issue is the sugar molecules actually clog up the pipes, so to speak. And this is where we actually see a lot of the repercussions and the danger of diabetes. It's actually the sugar molecules clogging all of the capillaries in the body. And we can talk more about that when we talk about type two diabetes. So when someone has type one, they just don't produce insulin. They have to have insulin injections for the rest of their life. And if you have type one diabetes, that's untreated, you can have fatal conditions. Diabetic ketoacidosis is one, um, where the acidity of your body completely changes because of the sugar molecules in your bloodstream. And that is a life-threatening ICU type patient. I took care of a lot of Uh, a lot of those types of patients actually in the ER. Mm. Um, That's actually how we would discover somebody had um, type one diabetes is they would go into DKA. And that was the first thing. Um, Type two diabetes is where your body is either not producing enough insulin anymore. Like the pancreas is like just kind of sluggish and, or your body um, is not responsive to insulin. So insulin is like a key that unlocks the cell to the sugar molecules. So it's like the, it's like the insulin just stops working. Like the key just stops working or, or it unlocks it some of the time, but not consistently. And that's the major difference is type one, you don't produce any insulin. You need to have insulin. Type two is your body still produces insulin, but for some reason your body's not sensitive or responsive to the insulin. Fascinating. And I like how you broke that down in more layman's terms because uh, <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm with you. I'm, I'm here yeah. now. So, so type Great. one is something that you will live with. You no, know, once you're, once you figure out your type ones, the rest of your life, but type two, if you are diagnosed with it, can you then reverse it and no longer be diabetic of type two? Yes, exactly. So type one diabetes is really like an autoimmune issue is what they're finding it's like your body is attacking the, like, I think it's the beta cells in your pancreas. And like, that's causing your body not to produce insulin. So it's a lifelong condition. You will need to replace insulin for the rest of your life. Like you have to take insulin as an injection. Um, you're not going to be like cured of type one diabetes. It has nothing to do with your exercise or your nutrition. Like you're not going to cure it that way. Right. Right. 
Um, type two diabetes though is definitely something that can be reversed. Um, it can be greatly improved and definitely something that can potentially be like vanished with lifestyle mm. changes. Well, I'm curious to know what are the most common symptoms of undiagnosed diabetes? How would you even know if you have type two without going to a doctor? We maybe some symptoms or keys that your body's already giving you. Sure. So one of them is increased thirst and urination, which mm. is kind of interesting. And this has to do with what's called the hyperosmolarity of the blood from all of the sugar molecules. So if you like, remember from like high school chemistry, um, like water follows from like a, um, like less concentrated place to like a more concentrated place. And so what happens is your body actually is excreting more fluids. Um, like fluids are being pulled into the bloodstream to like, try to lower the osmolarity of the blood. And so what happens is you start excreting a lot of fluid. So you're peeing a lot. Your body's just getting rid of fluids. Um, but that leads to thirst because you're getting dehydrated. So you can be like right. super thirsty and urinating a lot. Um, also increased hunger because your body is not utilizing the sugar properly. So it's the sugar molecules are circulating in your bloodstream, but they're not actually being pulled into the cell. So you can feel hungry. You can have unintended weight loss. So especially with type one diabetes, um, they will typically lose a lot of weight because their body is, they don't, the insulin's not working at all. So like they're not pulling any sugar into their cells to use. Um, so their body will start digesting its own tissue for fuel, mm. um, fatigue, right? Which makes sense because right. you're to like actually use the energy that's, you're eating the energy, but it's not getting into the, the factories, the energy factories of your body, right? Which right. Is um, another interesting one is blurred vision. So this comes from what we just talked about earlier with the sugar molecules are, they're quite large molecules actually, and they literally clog the pipes of your vasculature, right? So as a human being, you have arteries and veins. So arteries take oxygenated blood out to your cells and your bodies, and then veins bring the deoxygenated uh, blood back to your heart to pump to your lung, um, your lungs so that it get oxygenated and then goes out to your body. So that vasculature, you have like quite large arteries, right? Like um, your aorta is like your largest artery. It's right. quite large in diameter, but then you have all these tiny little capillaries. So, right. Those are like all the little tiny little veins or arteries that go out to like all the tissue in your fingertips and your eyes, et cetera and are feeding oxygenated blood to those tissues. Well, those tiny little capillaries get clogged with the sugar molecules. Oh. And this is what causes so many of the actual um, complications of diabetes. So blurred vision happens because those capillaries that are feeding like blood to your eyes get clogged. Oh. Um, that's actually what can lead to what's called diabetic retinopathy, which is where like the retina actually like gets destroyed and you can go blind because all the tissues in your body need blood, right? To, and they need oxygen to, to be alive. Otherwise that tissue dies. And so if a tissue in your body is not getting blood, it will die. Um, and so, so blurred vision, um, slow healing sores. So again, like your body is not able to heal from wounds properly um, because of re reduced blood flow and oxygenation and delivery of nutrients and then numbness or tingling in your hands and feet, which again comes from like the sugar molecules clogging capillaries and blood flow not getting to nerves. 
Oh my gosh, you just broke this down. Like I've always wondered what was happening inside the body to do this. And the way that you just broke this down was so easy for me to understand because then it's, it's like, well, of course you stop the blood flow, then all you're going to have all of these right. other factors to it. But can some of these symptoms just show that you are pre-diabetic? Is that a thing? Yeah. I mean, everyone's symptoms are going to be different. I would say with pre-diabetes, you, you probably aren't going to see some of these more serious consequences like blurred vision, which are coming further down the The line. Yeah. Yeah. But you, if you like a lot of people discover they're pre-diabetic when they go in for blood work Mm -hmm. and the doctor, you know, you get your blood glucose tested and your fasting blood glucose is higher than normal. Um, then they might run a hemoglobin A1C, which is a blood test that is even like more accurate in assessing the control and management of your diabetes. Um, and that could be slightly elevated. And those markers could indicate to the doctor you're pre-diabetic, but you probably wouldn't have as many of these symptoms. But that's why it's important to have a regular checkup so that you can have this done and kind of catch it before you get to one of these awful symptoms associated with it and let it prolonged undiagnosis. Yes, totally. And I'll tell you guys like kind of a gross story. So like if you're eating food, yes, let's do it. <laughs> so like I'm a former nurse. So like I have like, you're full of up. Yeah. Well, and I have like an iron stomach, so I can like talk about really gross things. While eating <laughs> like not their favorite thing. So anyway, um, yeah. So because of diabetes and like the way the sugar molecules are clogging, capillaries and impacting sensation, one of the dangerous parts of diabetes is you can get a wound, but not feel it. Right. So pain is actually a protective mechanism in the body. Pain lets us know that we damage tissue in our body and like you step on a nail, it hurts. And that alerts you to the fact that you've just damaged tissue in your body and you need to heal it. You need to take care of it. If you don't, it could get infected and kill you. Right. Right. So when someone's diabetic and they have a loss of sensation, what can happen is they can get wounds that don't even realize, like we don't even realize how sensitive our feet are constantly. And like, we like avoid stepping on things that would hurt our feet and put on shoes. So if like you're diabetic, you could step on something, cut your foot, have no idea because you have no sensation. And then that turns into a wound that doesn't heal. It can become infected. It can lead to sepsis right? Which is a blood infection that can kill you. So we once had a patient come into the ER and he was a homeless patient. I believe he hadn't taken his shoes off for like a month or something Mm -hmm. and diabetic. And we took off his shoes and I literally took care of some of the most disgusting things in the ER. Like, and, and this was the, one of the only times I ever got nauseated and He, the smell from his foot was horrific. It was, his foot was literally rotting. Oh and we, my gosh. He hadn't taken his sock off for a month. We took his sock off and he had the most disgusting wound on his foot. So the trauma, the surgeon came in, he took one look at the foot. I re, I distinctly remember this. He just took one look at the foot and said, yep, we're cutting that off and walked out of the room. Whoa. Like didn't even touch the foot, didn't assess blood flow, like just visually knew that like his foot had to go. Oh my oh. gosh. And did this man even know how he was injured or it was just like a no. mindless? Yeah. I mean, he just, he didn't take care of his foot and then it like got worse and worse and like, but that's the danger of diabetes. So that's why you see people who are diabetic sometimes have amputations 
because yeah. if that tissue gets necrotic, it has to be removed. Right. And if it's on a spot that like, you're not visually looking at, I mean, I know for most people would take off their shoes and see that, but exactly. clearly people who may be afraid that their shoes are going to get stolen are not going to take right. their shoes off or have to sleep with them totally. on. Um, but like, maybe it's a spot on your back or your thigh, somewhere that like, you're not conscious every day of looking at it in the mirror, not on right. the front part of your body anyway. And then not, not seeing that it's there or knowing that's there or worse, not feeling that it's there, like mind blowing and like scary too, to think about. Totally. And that's why regular checkups are so important because like, for example, also with your eyesight, if you're diabetic, you have to have really regular eye exams to check the, the retinas and make sure that you're not having damage to your retinas and that your, your vision is okay. So it is really important to have regular checkups, both for checking sensation, um, making sure you don't have any like wounds or infection, checking your eyesight, but also blood sugar control and, and really making sure that your diabetes is being managed as well as possible. Mm. Is there a group of people who are at greater risk of being diabetic with type two diabetes? Yeah, definitely. So some of the risk factors include weight. So just being a higher body weight overall can increase diabetes risk, abdominal fat specifically. So I always like to tell women like the fat on our thighs and hips is like good fat. It's like our baby making fat, you know, it's mm. like hormones, like we're not supposed to be these like tiny skinny girls with no fat and super lean. Like that's not actually what the female body is like designed to be. Um, and, but that abdominal fat is something that can be more dangerous to women. Um, the visceral fat um, can actually be, it's called visceral fat because it's actually in the organs. Viscera is another word for all of the organs in your abdominal cavity. And you have so many organs in your, your abdomen. That's pretty much where like everything happens in your body, except for like your brain, right? Right. Um, like you need your torso to survive. You can lose some legs and arms, but you got to have the torso in your head. Right. right. And like everything in between that. Yeah. Like, yeah. You got to have everything in between there. And so, yeah. so, so that abdominal fat is actually works its way into the organs. It's not that subcutaneous fat where you squeeze your skin and you get a little, a little, you know, a bit. Um, so that increases risk of diabetes inactivity, family history. And then there are certain ethnic groups that are just more predisposed. They don't know why. They don't know if it's genetics. They don't know if it's environment. They're not sure what the cause is. But if you're Black, Hispanic, Native American, Asian, or Pacific Islander, you are at increased risk for developing diabetes. Also, if your age is over 45, um, if, you're, if you have elevated blood lipid levels, and also if you have PCOS, all of those can be risk factors for diabetes. Wow. I had no idea that it was even more common in different ethnic groups. Yes, for sure. And I definitely saw that as a nurse and it was always hard to tell if it was like, okay, is it because they're eating the standard American diet, right? The sad diet, which is like high in processed foods and refined yeah. carbohydrates and sugar and fatty meats, or is it something genetically where they're more predisposed to it? Is it like is it like food deserts? Is it like poverty and stress, which lead to like increased cortisol and inflammation in the body? Like what's actually causing it? But you definitely see that as a nurse when you're taking care of patients. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. And that's incredibly important too, because if that is part of your ethnic background and you are having all these symptoms, then maybe it can help you have that ding, ding, ding light bulb um, of 
of maybe something else, but it's interesting that it hasn't been able to be figured out the why behind it yet. So I guess, I guess science will help us figure out that why in, in due time, but what can we do? What can we incorporate into our daily diet to help someone, um, who is already diagnosed with type two, and then maybe we can go into some preventative things after that. Sure. So I've actually worked with type two diabetics and it's been like, and I've worked also with type one diabetics, which are completely different really nutritionally because a type one diabetic can really eat like any type of like, like carbohydrate. And then because they have synthetic insulin, that insulin will just pull the carbohydrate into the cell. Mm. So you rarely see type one diabetics who have like weight issues or like sometimes they can have like some stubborn fat, but it's not the same as like type two diabetes typically. Right. Whereas with type two diabetes, you really want to control the weight. You want to try to, you know, have people lose weight and you want to control blood sugar levels. And so nutritionally, so like, for example, with this client that I worked with, he was actually a, he was actually a normal weight, but he was Hispanic. So this is where you start to see that just because someone is not overweight does not mean they're not at risk for diabetes type two. Right. Right. Breaking that myth right there. Yes. So, um, he had, so he was, he was a healthy, normal weight. I think he was like five, 10, five, 11, 180 pounds, roughly. He was doing CrossFit. Um, but he, he had type two diabetes and he was Hispanic. So one of the things we did was work on, we weren't trying to necessarily lose weight for him, but we were trying to swap foods. So he had a chip habit, right? Like he loved chips and he would eat a lot of chips. Well, those are a highly processed carb. They're going to spike your blood sugar more often. So I would switch him to things like let's snack on nuts, right? Mm. Which are lower carbohydrate, higher fat, better for blood sugar controlled. Nuts are also really good for reducing inflammation in the body. They've been associated with health. Things like instead of you know, if you're craving something salty, let's have some popcorn. Like let's have us, you know, it's like higher in fiber. So just some of those nutritional switches from higher glycemic load carbohydrates to lower glycemic carbohydrates can make a difference for type two diabetics. Wow. And sometimes it's just like that, a simple shift. You can still have your, your crunchy snack, but just switching the snack of, to, to, from chips to nuts. It can be as simple as that. Yeah, we have to find when we crave things. This is what I've learned as a nutritionist. We typically crave texture and we crave like temperature and we crave flavor. So for example, like if you're craving pizza, you're typically craving something like salty and savory. You're craving something that's like chewy, cheesy, gooey. Um, and you're craving something that's warm, right? right. Unless, unless you eat your pizza cold, which sometimes I do. I mean, uh, the day after cold pizza yeah. is like the best, <laughs> right? But in general, those would be the things you're craving. If you're craving ice cream, you're, what you're really craving is something cold, something sweet, something creamy, and something icy. Well, you can actually have a smoothie and have something creamy, icy, cold and, you know, smooth and sweet and actually fulfill the craving profile of the ice cream, Ah, right? The craving profile. I like that. Right. And you may actually feel more satisfied. For example, I don't forbid any foods. So like if I want to eat real ice cream, I'll eat it. And the other night I got this really good s'mores ice cream. It looked amazing. I love s'mores. 
and it kills, right? It has the best flavor. It's like a vanilla marshmallow ice cream, like so Ooh. good, high quality ice cream. But as I ate it, I started to get a stomach ache and a headache. And like, then I had like the worst farts all night. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, and here yeah. we go. <laughs> totally. And I'm like, okay, even though I don't forbid ice cream, now when I'm craving something sweet and creamy, like I'm like, actually, maybe I'll make a smoothie with like peanut butter, frozen banana, some almond milk and some vanilla protein powder that will actually fulfill the craving and make me feel good. Right. And, and actually give a nutritional value to it as well. Totally. So when my clients are craving things, I, I encourage them to think about like, okay, if you really want the real thing, let's have it. Because if we forbid foods, then we tend to like crave them and then binge. Right. But if you discover that you don't feel that great when you eat that food, but you still sometimes crave it, let's find a like a different substitute or swap. So that's why something like okay, if you're craving chips, an apple isn't going to satisfy that, right? Right, right. <laughs> like crunchy, salty, like maybe it's got a pungent flavor, like chips usually are like a barbecue flavor or cheddar sour cream. Or, so like maybe you get some of those like wasabi almonds. So you get like a tangy, intense flavor, but you're also getting crunch and salt. Right. And it makes so much sense. This, this craving profile makes so much sense of, because there are so many times where it's like, oh, I want whatever snack and you know, it's not the best choice, but like a banana is not going to do it for you. It's like, mm, totally. I'm not even, I don't even want to eat that banana. It's, you know, <laughs> it's not going to taste good in that moment because it's not what you really wanted. Exactly. And so if you if you don't actually listen to the cravings and like feed your body your cravings, then you will binge. But at the same time, what I've learned both personally and with clients is we can actually fulfill cravings with healthier options. Like for example, when I crave pizza, I know that if I get like a gluten cheese pizza, it's going to taste great, but actually I might not feel that good. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I will make like, I have like little cauliflower thins and I'll put like tomato sauce with like real mozzarella cheese, but just a smaller portion and real pepperoni and make like little pizzas. And I actually like find those super satisfying and the pizza craving goes away, but then I'm not like eating something that's like super, like it just makes, doesn't make me feel good. Right. It's not bloating you. It's not giving you heartburn. It's not like doing yeah, exactly. internal things that you're just like, Oh, why did I eat this? But it was so good. And like. <laughs> It was so good, but I literally had a stomach ache the entire night that I slept that night. And like, yeah. okay. It was like maybe like six minutes of mouth pleasure, right? And <laughs> hours of pain. <laughs> it was like 10 hours of like digestive suffering. I'm like, not worth it. I don't not think Not so. worth it. And I think that's important to kind of like weigh, like I know certain foods that will, ice cream is actually one of them that like upset my stomach and you really have to gauge like. Yeah how important is this? And like, I know now, like I want, if I like go out and even get like gelato, it's like, Oh, it's a lengthy. I could eat this entire thing right now, but should I No, I can just do a couple bites and it's not going to mess me up all night. Like, so, so a lot of that like also comes into just being aware of your body and how do you really want to feel as well? Definitely. What are some lifestyle tips that we can also implement to prevent diabetes type two. Yeah. So just to also like touch on a few more nutritional things is like, we want to increase fruits and veggies. Pretty much mm. every human being can like handle eating more fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Right? Like, they're so good for us. And we tend to really under eat them in 
our modern diet, especially in kind of like fast paced American culture. Yep. So increasing your fruits and vegetables is a huge thing. Um, but really walking daily. So all of my clients, I make them walk, right? Like that is the activity that if they do nothing else in my program, I don't make them go to the gym. They don't have to do that. But I'm like, you must walk and you need to really walk eight to 10,000 steps every day is the target that I give them. Mm. And walking is so powerful for so many reasons. You know, one, it's what we're designed to do. A human being can walk maybe like 20, 22 miles in, in a day, right? kind of like consistently too, if they're trained up, um, you think about the pioneers who like crossed the United States, right? Oregon trail style. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Oregon. So like, I know a lot about Oregon trail. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, and I like played the game and my favorite. Yes. I mean, so fun. Right. My mom dresses up as a pioneer and does like tours at the local history. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. This is like made my day that much better learning this. Um, she actually took us on a road trip when I was in school. We went out to the Oregon Trail like History Museum in Eastern Oregon, and we like had to walk down. I remember to like go find the wagon ruts in like the. And I remember oh. being like a bratty teenager, be like, "This is a horrible trip. I hate this." Why, why would you do this? Now you reflect back, and you're like, "Okay, that was actually I'm pretty cool. Like, Let's do it yeah. again." <laughs> But like, okay, so like we're designed to walk. We are right. We're you know we're, we can walk for miles. It's it's good for our bodies. Um, and so when you walk more, your body is better at utilizing fuel. It pulls mm. fuel from the the uh, from your bloodstream into your cells more efficiently. You get stronger. You build muscle walking. Right, your legs get more toned. Um, your glutes get more toned. So I'd say like, if there were just three things that I would recommend to people who either have type two diabetes um, or are maybe pre-diabetic and want to like prevent, walk daily, um, eat more fruits and vegetables, and then improve your sleep. So sleep is highly underrated, but so important. And you know, when you're sleeping properly, your cortisol is decreased. When your cortisol is decreased, you will be better at burning fat in your body. You will also be less prone to stress eating. And so anything that helps reduce your overall body weight, they, they seem to think that that improves your risk factor for type two diabetes. Now, like I said, I had that client who wasn't overweight and he still developed it. So it's not the entire picture. Right. I would say it's a big component of it. Right. Sometimes you may have all three puzzle pieces and sometimes you may only have one. So it's, it's the big picture of it all. Yes, exactly. Oh my goodness. Well, Heather, I know that you are full of so many more tips and I know we're also running short on time, although I feel like I have so many more questions to dive into, but will you tell our audience where they can go to connect with you further and learn more about diabetes type two, but also nutrition and how they can be more empowered with their body? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a very holistic health coach. So I incorporate nutrition mindset, spirituality, holistic health practices, really looking at it as a whole. And so I primarily work with women. Occasionally I take a few private male clients, but I'm basically a woman's health coach and I love coaching women in nutrition. I do my nutrition coaching program three times a year. It's called Empower. So you can learn more about that at my website, heathermcconaughey.com. You can either apply if applications are open or join the wait list. 
to learn more. And then I also have some other like digital products that you can check out, but heathermcconaughey.com. That's also my Instagram. And I'd love to connect with you and, you know, say hello if you follow me. Well, that's so awesome. I will be sure to link all of that on this week's episode notes. Heather, you schooled me today. I actually feel like I learned more from you. You brought up chemistry class and like I had ever learned in chemistry for like a oh. semester. So thank you for schooling me and also our audience. You are a true change maker and I love the mission that you're on. Oh, thank you so much, Lauren. Loved being here. I love when someone is bold in their path while helping humanity rise up and become healthier versions of self. I've linked Heather's website and social media channels on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. Next week, we're talking about the power of love and what love really means. I'm back on Friday for another episode of Feel Your Life Friday, but until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.